start this. So um, we want to be uh, continuing. You know, faithfulness is something that is so important. Paul said in Second uh, Corinthians, I think it is, chapter 4, that he told us that what is required of a steward is to be found faithful. That's, that's really the, the only hard, fast requirement for a steward. A uh, steward is given a responsibility to you know, oversee, to take control of, to, um, or you know, to manage and this sort of thing. And you know, I suppose there's other traits that could be helpful as a steward. But there's one non-negotiable, one uh, all you know all-important trait or characteristic of a steward, and that is to be found faithful, uh, faithfulness. And so all of us are a steward, and we all have different gifts and different talents. But in our stewardship of, of you know our life for God and the ministries and things God has us to do, the witness that we're to have, we are to be found faithful. Uh, you know, we can't control a lot of things, but we can uh, be faithful. And that's what God wants us to do. I was reminded of when I was, I, I know a lot of you know that I talk about this from time to time, about uh, working on a farm as a boy. Uh, my teenage years, I worked uh, on a dairy farm. And the, the dairy farm, I know that there's, you know, today there's a lot of corporate farms even and, you know, large farms where, uh, they have hired staff, you know, to do chores and this sort of thing. But that was not the case on the farm I worked for. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a, a farmer who, uh, when I started working there, uh, he lived there with his mom. His mom was in her 80s. Uh, he was about 40. And he had never been married and uh, had, had no other family there. It was just him and his mom. That was it. And he had inherited the farm from his dad, who had farmed it before him. So uh, he needed, of course, a little help. And he saw this teenage boy, and he asked my dad if I could work for him. And so I started and, and stayed with him until I left home and joined the military. But, um, and, I, and I really, I, I know you, I mention it because I had the fondness for uh, farming. I enjoyed a lot of the work that I did. And I learned something that I had not considered, and maybe you haven't considered either. The hardest thing about dairy farming, especially if it's a family-run farm and you're the one, you know, doing all the work, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are hard, I suppose. But I've, I, I, as I considered, you know, if I would ever become a farmer, what was the one thing that was the hardest to, to uh, commit to doing? It wasn't necessarily the physical uh strength that you know the physical taxing that it took to lift all the heavy uh, loads the hay bales the uh, bags of grain all of these kind of things it wasn't the taxing phys- physicalness of squatting under cows and and that kind of a thing we didn't milk them particularly by hand they had machines but but you still had to get down and you know connect the machine to the cow and all this sort of thing um, all of the, you know, there, those things were t- taxing uh, to you physically. But the hardest thing, the thing that I felt was probably the most challenging thing, was simply the fact that a, a dairy cow has to be milked 
twice a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, without exception. It's not, there's no break. Uh, you cannot just take a day off. Uh, they always continuously, every day, and when, when it came to a farmer like the one I worked for, that really did mean that he had no vacations. Uh, that's why he wasn't married. He had no social life. He, he was stuck there uh, doing this task over and over and over and over and over. And you know, but the, the faithfulness, the commitment, the continuance that I saw just in that job, uh, I admired. I thought that's, that's amazing uh, that he did that. Now, as Christians, you know, there's things about the Christian life that may uh, in time seem monotonous, maybe in time seem uh, hard, and there's, there's the temptation to l- let down, to lax off, to ease off uh, of certain things, to find an easier path, to lower the standards. Um, that's, that's a temptation that churches uh, face. It's a temptation that Christians face. And this theme of the year, uh, this theme for this year, is to remind us that uh, we cannot, you know, let down. We have to continue in the things that God has given us to do. And so, um, let's think about this particular Uh, actually the chapter, I'm kind of going to take you through the chapter uh, a little bit today, not verse by verse, but I want you to consider with me that I think you probably know Timothy, uh, the one that's named, you know, the book is named after, it was was written to a man named Timothy. Most of you would be aware that Timothy was uh, a younger man who uh, worked with and trained under, in a sense, uh, the Apostle Paul. And Timothy had become like a son to Paul, a son in, I think in both the sense of like a a human relationship, I think Paul felt about Timothy uh, as though he was sort of like the son Paul had never had, Um, but but, but definitely spiritually, uh, Timothy was a, a son to Paul in the ministry, and Paul makes statements like that, but, um, so t- Paul is writing to Timothy, and he, Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he knows it. He knows that his time is at hand. Um, unlike, you know, when Paul wrote in the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, you'll read there, uh, where Paul, you know, it's, it's those verses where he's, this one you'll remember, he said um, that he was in a, in a strait betwixt two things. And, and what he's talking about is, you know, uh, I know that I, I kind of need to be here. Uh, you know, I know there's some work for me to do. I'm, I'm hopefully I'm profitable uh, to you as a teacher and so on. But you know, he said I, I would really like to depart and just be in heaven. I'd like to just sort of take off my uh, boots and and uh, go home and you know rest in heaven. I think Paul uh, realized that you know to to die was gain. He said you know. And so he, he, Paul lived in a, in a state of jeopardy. His, he, it's an interesting statement. It's made in the book of Acts somewhere where they talk about Paul and Barnabas. And it says, men that hazard, hazarded, I can't say the word, uh, 
They hazarded their lives for the, for the name of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul lived in a sense of jeopardy in, of his life. And so there were times in his life where he you know, wrote and he said, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I might die. I might get set free. Uh, I really don't know which way it's going. And uh, I'm a little bit in, in kind of a, I'm a little bit tossed as to which way I hope it goes. But at this point in 2 Timothy, Paul knows. Uh, the Lord had revealed to him that his time of departure was at hand. You can read that in chapter 4. Um, where he talks about, not chapter, yeah, chapter 4, uh, you know, he talks about he had fought a good fight, finished his course, you know, he kept the faith, and, and he knew he was going to die. And so when he writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, uh, he's writing with, I just was thinking about that, I was thinking about Paul's heart. And I thought about, you know, how would a father uh, who's writing maybe to his son, maybe the, maybe the dad is, he's, maybe he has terminal cancer, He's on his deathbed. He knows that uh, he probably won't survive the week and maybe not even the night. You know, He knows that his time is really short. And he has a son who for some reason maybe can't be near him and he has to write him a letter. And I think you know, there was kind of some of that in the heart of Paul when he was writing to Timothy. What would you say to your son? What was, what was it that you would want to... Uh, you know, give them in your departing words, so to speak, and with that kind of sentiment, that kind of emotion. And so this is what Paul gives to Timothy, this book. And uh, I think probably kind of summed up in verse 14, uh, after you know thinking about and talking about all that uh, Timothy had learned, even from a child, what God has done in his life. And now he says, Timothy, listen, I want to just tell you one last time. Uh, you know, I, I think Paul would have said to him, uh, you know, if he was in person, look, I, I love you, I'm proud of you, but I want you just to remember this. Continue. Continue in the things that you've learned. Stay at it. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't swerve. Uh, but just stay the course, Timothy. And that's what, that's what Paul gives to Timothy. Not only from his own heart, but of course this is Scripture, right? This is... In, by the inspiration of God, you read, we read that in verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And a matter of fact, uh, this might even help to kind of think about the thought. As, um, you know, as a church and as Bible-believing Christians, uh, there's, there's a couple foundational things that we hold to as we talk about what we're to continue in, what we have learned, what we know to be true. Uh, one of those, of course, is about the Word of God, the Scriptures. And two things that are foundational. One is, of course, the inspiration of the Scripture. L let's just look at it there. You know the verse, but verse 16. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word, I know you've probably heard other preachers uh, Describe the Greek word means God breathed. He breathed out the words that they wrote down. Um, this is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so 
we believe in the verbal plenary, that's, that's a big words, um, but we believe in the inspiration of God's Word. And that's why we call it God's Word. You see, the importance of that is that this is not just what some men wrote. This isn't just something that even you know godly, uh, believing men wrote, wise men wrote. It's way more than that. This is literally the words of God to you and I. God's revelation. God's message. And so, uh, we believe that. We believe that all of the Bible, and therefore it's authoritative. Therefore, it's worthy of all of our acceptation, you know, and faith. And it's, our, it's what we base our faith and our practice on. Because it's God's Word. It has that authority. It has that truthfulness. It has that power. And so, it's all Scripture. Now, let me point out just a couple things. All the Scriptures are given by inspiration. It's, it's the Scriptures that were inspired. Really, not, not even the men that were inspired, but the words that were inspired. God didn't just breathe into the men. He breathed out the words. And so the words, these words are the words of God. And then it says, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration. Some want to translate that, all, all that is given by God is inspired. Which kind of gives you the idea that, well, maybe not all of it is given by God. But no, the is is in the right place. All Scripture is God's Word. So that's the first thing. I said there was two foundational things. The second one is preservation. So there's inspiration and then there's preservation. And that's equally important. Because can you imagine if, if you know, somebody said to you one day, um, did you know that God literally inspired and gave a message for men to write down? And they recorded it. And they wrote it in a book, a book called the Bible. But you know, what if you were to say, well, where, where is this book? Where is the Bible? Well, sadly, you know, in some 500 A.D. or whatever, uh, the Bible was lost. It was destroyed. And we no longer have it. We don't have anymore what, what God gave. I mean, what good would that do us? Uh, we would be, of all men, most miserable. Uh, what a tragedy. You know, that would, be, that would be horrendous if that happened. But, of course, God inspired it and He's preserved it. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. And so, God's word, we believe, is inspired. We believe that we have still preserved for us today the inspired word of God. What an what a awesome truth that is. And I tell you all that to say, you know, you're like, Pastor, you're running off on rabbit trails here. Um, a little bit, but these are important. I tell you that because it's vitally important, but also because it also helps me to think about this, uh, this, what we're studying. If Timothy had learned great truths, wonderful doctrinal teachings, and understood them, but if he didn't continue in them, what a tragedy that would be. And you know, we could say the same thing for us today. We've been handed down and taught and, you know, so many before us have 
given their lives to preserve the Word of God and to translate it and to you know, put it into the hands of people today and have stood for those truths because there's been attacks, and we're going to see that in just a moment. There's been attacks upon it throughout history. But they were faithful to continue and to propagate it and to pass it on to others. And you know, now it's our generation, which means it's our stewardship, to not only uh, hold it and you know, study it and even believe it, but to live it. I think that uh, you know, if, if the Bible is not shown to be lived and practiced, people will ignore the words. People will, uh, I, I understand that yes, the word of God is quick and powerful and it does have power. Nothing was going to thwart that. But it is important that they can see these truths really playing out in our lives. And you know, when young Christians get saved, it's important for them to see uh, these things lived that were not just there, you know, not just read, not just said and, and spoken, but really lived in our life. And we need to continue in those things. Continue not only in the, in the teaching, but continue in the living of the Word of God. Alright, I'm going to give you two thoughts real quickly. Um, I say real quickly. Not real, but rather quickly. Alright. Um, I want you to notice, first of all, the climate for this charge. I called the message the charge, of, um, con- the, the charge to continue. We are charged. We are given this uh, command, this, this responsibility, this charge to continue. And look at the climate that's around it. Now this is verses 1 through 13. And like I say, we're not going to go through all of these verses and uh, describe everything here. But verse 1 kind of sets the tone. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. The word perilous times is literally, uh, the Greek word has the idea of uh, dangerous, difficult. Thayer put it this way, he says, hard to bear, troublesome, harsh, fierce, savage. And so the idea of the word is that it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, it's going to be a struggle. And it's going to be fierce. There's going to be a fierce struggle. And, and Paul is telling Timothy that this is going to happen. You know, there's going to be perilous times. He describes them in the verses. Look at verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, uh, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, uh, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those uh, that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. That's quite a list. I mean, that's just like, whoa, that's perilous stuff. Uh, You know, just selfish and self-centered and unthankful and wicked and so on. Now, I need to explain to you that he says, uh, know that in the last days. The word last days, when we read that, we generally think of that, you know, the days just prior to the return of Christ. But actually the phrase uh, is a much broader term than that. 
uh, it really means, uh, you know, the, it's, it covers this whole dispensation, this whole age that you and I are living in today, known as the church age or the age of grace or uh, whatever the terminology is. It's, it's the time between Jesus' uh, first coming and his second coming. That's really, in the scriptures, can be, you know, the, the last days can cover that entire uh, span. Uh, I wrote down what Wearsby said in his commentary. He said, These last days began with the ministry of Jesus and will continue until he returns. Um, and just think about what John said. This is 1 John chapter 2. He says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. So this is John writing, you know, all the way back in the days of the Apostle. And he said, children, we're in the last time. And this is characteristic. Now, if you look at verse 13, he says these things will wax worse. It's going to increase. It's going to get uh, more and more so. And in the days just prior to the return of Christ, uh, it's going to increase even more. But, but we, we see this. When, you, when I read that list, you know, verses 2 through 6, uh, or where we stopped there, um, you know, you could say, well, yep, that describes our generation, doesn't it? Uh, sure. And uh, these things are going on and, and would be going on even in the days of Timothy. And so Paul is telling him, look, there's perilous times. I know he talks about it in future tense, but it's coming. And, you know, we're in it. And so, uh, those type of things uh, we read about, you know, you might think that, well, that's just talking about in the world. That's only, you know, yeah, the world's going to do all of those things. A lot. And when I say the world, you understand I'm talking about the lost, uh, people who don't know Christ, non-Christians. Uh, you know, they're going to be uh, lovers of self and covetous and boasters and proud and blasphemers and disobedient and and on and on and on. You know that's that's not new. That's sort of expected. But look look at verse um, five. He says, "Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof." Look at verse six. He says, "For of the, this sort for." Yeah, of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead led captivity silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he refers to this Janus and Jambres which withstood Moses. So do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. I think if you really think about what he's saying there, he's talking to Timothy about not just what's going to happen in the world, but even within the churches. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be a fierce battle for the truth. There's going to be... uh, False teachers out there leading away captive, uh, he calls them silly women. Uh, I know that might get the attention of uh, some and say, well, wait a minute, you know, that's not, a, that's not a, just a general statement w- regarding women, but 
Um, but they're, you know, these are the weaker ones uh, that are laden, it says, with sin. Is the ones they prey on. The ones they try to, you know, make converts of. He's talking here about these that have a form of godliness, but they don't have the power of it. They have it's it's a religious people. He's not talking about just secular people. And what he's getting at here is this battle for the truth, the battle to stand on truth, to proclaim and to live and to and to continue to teach and to continue to uh, stand for uh, not just even yes. Of course, the the big doctrines of salvation by grace through faith, you know, the deity of Christ and and the blood atonement and all of those things, but but all the things, all that we know, uh, how we are to live, how we are to uh, remember how I said we're to be different. You know, I, I talked about our memory verse that Christ made a difference in my life, and yes, those characteristics of verses two and three and four uh, sound like the world. But churches that don't stand fast in the faith, they become worldly. They become like the world. And, and there is little difference. And we see this today in churches. We see churches that, you know, they go and they sing their songs and they have their service, but you watch their life and you say, what, what is, the, is there any difference? Is there any distinction between how they live and how a lost person lives? I don't see any. I don't see any difference that Christ has made in their life. They have many of the same vices. They, they use the same language. They, uh, you know, I hope that never is the case with you or I. I told you Christ made a difference in my life. I got saved. I was 18 years old, jo- joined the military. I had a foul mouth, a dirty mind, a, a corrupt heart, and, and ungodly practices and habits. But Jesus transformed me. And He's still doing that, but thank God uh, I don't live that way anymore. And I've tried to continue for 36 years of just growing and walking with God. And that's what He's getting at when He talks to Timothy. Look, Timothy, don't let down. Don't dip uh, you know, the standards of the Bible. Because there's going to be a battle to turn people away from these truths. And we need to hold fast. We need to be steadfast in the truth. So, the climate of the, of the charge. Secondly, the content of the charge. I put down three sub-things just quickly. Committed to the process. He says, Timothy, continue in the things that you have learned. You know, there's a process of learning. And all of us are on that path somewhere. Uh, Timothy had learned. He had been a student under Paul. And, and you know, being under the Apostle Paul, uh, Paul is preaching and teaching. And he's observing. He's getting a, a college education. Uh, he's getting a tremendous, uh, you know, just training and discipleship under the Apostle Paul. What a privilege Timothy had. But he was in a process of learning. And, you know, he had learned and he's continuing that. I don't, th- I don't think he was supposed to stop learning, though. He's to continue to be learning as well. And, you know, I was talking with um, a good brother the other day, and, and uh, he's only been saved about two years. And he was saying, man, I just feel like I, I, I just don't 
retain things very well and I'm still learning and there's so much I should know and I don't know. And I said, brother, listen, uh, <laughs> here I have been saved many more years and there's still a lot of things I have to relearn and I have to remind myself and I have to study out again. And we always have to be learning. I remember years and years ago in the church, there was a man and he was a, he was a dear man. I loved him. Uh, he's with the Lord now. But uh, one day he came to me and he made a statement that I thought, uh, it kind of saddened my heart a little bit because he said, you know, uh, these things I, in Sunday school we were going over, he said, I, I already know all that. I know all these things. And he was kind of saying, you know, I don't know what's the point of me coming. I keep hearing the same things. And I thought, you know, we don't want to get to the point where we think we have obtained we think we have learned because there's always things even at the lesson you know this is not a new concept but there's things as i studied out and thought about and meditated on uh just some new things some deepening of understanding and you know i think a lot of you know that if you if you are a student if you're just kind of like not really a student you know, you'll pick up a little bit. Well, you know, I heard him say that, and, and you might retain a little bit. You probably won't. You probably think, you know, oh, yeah, I've heard that. I know I know those things. But if you're a real student of the Bible, you're going to see things that you're going to go, wow. You know, I knew that, but now I really know that. And, you know, I knew that, but I didn't really understand why. But now I see. And you're going to learn more. And you need to continue in the process of learning. And if you're a young person, uh, if you're young in the Lord, I would, I would encourage you, be faithful in just studying and learning. Continue to learn. Continue in the process of learning. Secondly, not only the process, but the people. He said, Consider, continue in things you've learned knowing, and let me say, let me not skip the word, he said, been assured of. You see, as we learn, there's things we know, we learn, we could, we could recite, but until we get assured of, I think back when I first came to the church and I was starting a church for the first time. I'd never been a pastor before, you know, 23 years ago. And um, some challenges came. People challenged me about the things we were teaching in the church. They had a different view. And, you know, I was teaching the things that I had been taught. I was trying to continue in the things that I had learned. But they challenged me on it. And I had to study and say, well, what, is what I learned true? And in those issues, I found, yeah, actually what I had learned, I, you know, I, I really came at it with an open heart and said, Lord, I want to know. If, if, if they're right, then I want to know that. But if, if this is right, I'm going to stick with this. And, uh, you know, I, I got, not only did I... Did I learn it? But now I know it. I know what it is. I see it. I, I'm solid on it. I became assured of it, and that's a part of the process too: is learning and then getting that assurance that yes, not only is this because Pastor Klein said it's true, but it's because I I I know it. I see it in the Bible. All right. So the the process, but then the people, the of who you knowing you know knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Who did he learn this from? Well, he learned a lot from Paul. 
That's who I think of when I first read that verse. If you stopped right there, you'd go, well, he's talking about himself. You know, remember, continue in these things because you know who you learned them from. I taught you. You've got to do that. Um, you know, there's some of that is true. Paul's not do it, saying it that, in that kind of spirit. But he is saying, look, you know, you've learned this from an apostle. You've learned this from, you know, others, not just Paul, but others, Silas, and those that were traveling with them. You know, you learn these things. And it's and thank God for our teachers. Amen? I'm very grateful for the teachers in my life that put into my heart biblical sound doctrine. Thank God for them. For the pastors in my life. For the teachers in my life. For the mentors in my life. And you know... I, I do want to follow them. I see their life. They lived. Some of them are now with God. Um, but they, they were faithful. And I want to be faithful. I want to follow on like they. So he says to consider the teachers. But Timothy's teachers were not just that. Look at verse um, 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He talks about from a child. Just turn back a second to chapter 1 in verse 5. Paul says, uh, he was thanking God. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that was in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. What a wonderful privilege Timothy had growing up with a grandmother and a mom who also taught him from a child the Holy Scriptures. And he could be thankful for that and say, look, uh, you know, I had a mom and a grandma that loved God and knew the Bible and imparted those things to me. And I need to be faithful, uh, faithful first to God, faithful to the God's Word, but even faithful to those who have trained you. I remember when Brother Allen, I showed you his letter, Pastor Allen went to uh, Vernon and I said to Pastor All, and I said, Brother, you stand true and be steadfast in the truth. And I said, because if you don't, I'm going to come over and beat the snot out of you. I think I told him, but I'm <laughs> just joking with him. But, um, you know, you got to stand true. And they learned it from a child. If you're a young person and your mom and dad have you sitting in front of a computer watching Pastor Klein on TV or on, you know, on your device. Uh, what are they doing? They're trying to teach. They're trying to get truth into you. And when you go to Sunday school and when you have your devotions. And mom and dad, you teach them. Train them. Teach them. Show them the scriptures. Impart to them those things that they can continue in. And that you want them to continue in. Not, just, not even just the, yes, the, definitely the foundational things. But teach them about what they can't compromise in. You know, don't, you can't compromise in your morals, in your entertainment to listen to filth, to watch things you shouldn't. You know, teach them those things that they continue in them. All right, last of all, we saw that we're to commit to the process, to consider the teachers. The, uh, the ones that taught us, the people. 
and then continue to perfection. Look at verse 17. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration. Then it says that the man of God may be perfect, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We're to continue on to perfection, uh, growing, and to be furnished. Uh, let Let me give you this thought too. Timothy was taught by Paul. Timothy was taught by perhaps others within the, you know, the ministry of Paul. He was taught by his mom, his grandma, but he was also taught by God. And that's when that assurance really comes. Verse 16 talks about the Scripture. Remember who you learned it from. You learned it from the Bible. You learned it from God. I, I watched a video, uh, only part of it. A lot of people send me things, but I, a preacher sent this out, and it was a video of between a, a liberal theologian, somebody who uh, was defending uh, transgenders and accepting that in the church, and somebody who was conservative and and was uh, saying, you know, we got to this isn't biblical, and uh, they were they were debating, and, and in all of the debate, these guys were both much smarter as far as intellectually. Uh, they were talking philosoph- philosophically and stuff, and. And I thought to myself, you know, I thought, wow, uh, you know, I couldn't hold, a, uh, hold up to them in an intellectual way. But all, I do know what I could say. I could say, look, this is what God says. I may not be able to, uh, you know, make it sound all philosophical and intellectually more logical than you, but I'm just saying I'm going to stick with what God says. Because this is what the Bible, and I'm assured that the Word of God is true. You know, and that's what we have. You know, we, we don't have to outsmart all of our critics. We just have to know what the Bible says and say, you know, you, you can decide what you want, but I'm, I'm going to stay with God. I'm going to believe what God said. And so we just need to be firm in the Scripture. Well, to continue, and to continue in the Scriptures, to continue to grow. That's what we need to do this year. Yeah, there's going to be perilous times. But friends, let's, you and I, determine more than ever before, we want to continue in the things God has taught us and to be faithful and to not drop the ball. I'll close with this story I heard uh, Dr. Clarence Sexton. He's a man that has taught many He's the founder and chancellor of a Bible college in Tennessee. And Dr. Sexton had gone over to London, England, and he visited the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Charles Spurgeon was a very famous pastor back in the 1800s from 1854 to 1892. Charles Spurgeon pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. And Dr. Sexton, of course, had read much about Spurgeon and really admired his writings and so on and, and his ministry. And when he went to the church, he, he asked the current pastor, that church is still there, and there's a pastor, his name is Peter Marshall, or Masters, Peter Masters, I think it is. Anyway, uh, he went there and he said, can you show me something that you, that's still here that was the same as when Spurgeon was the pastor? And uh, the pastor said, I'm sorry, I, I can't. Uh, the, the original building burnt down in 1896, or 1898, I think it is. Uh, 
during World War II, the bombing raids on London, everything was destroyed. He said, there isn't anything I can show you. And Brother Sexton was a little bit, uh, just, he, was, he, was, he was a little bit persistent. He said, surely there, there's something left. Can't you give me something? Show me anything that's the same as when Charles Spurgeon was here. And finally the pastor said, you want, to, you want to know something that's the same? He said, the only thing that's the same is our doctrine. Our doctrine is the same as Charles Spurgeon preached. And you know, that's the greatest thing. They had continued all those 130 years since Spurgeon was the pastor. That church is continuing and the things that they had learned. And I don't suppose that, you know, Castlegar Baptist Church will be, I hope all of us will be in heaven before this, but 130 years from now, um, if the Lord hadn't, hasn't returned and set up His kingdom, wouldn't it be great if somebody could say, you want to know something that's the same as when this church was founded? They don't have to know my name. Something that's continued all these years is the doctrine. And we still believe, we still practice, we still hold to the truth of the Scriptures. That's our prayer. And when we get to the end of 2021, let's be able to say we've continued in the things God has given us. We've been found faithful. That's all a steward is required to do. Let's bow our heads and pray.